Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that your spirit will be with us today, that you'll speak to us from your word, and that we will understand that our heads and our hearts will become open permanently to each other, that we might truly be identified as your disciples by our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, it should be familiar by now, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And now we add one more, one more phrase about love today. Love never fails. So I've been challenging you since the beginning of the year when you come in, each time to take a look around you in this church. Take a look. Go ahead. Take a look right now. You can do it right now. Look around. See all the different people here. You can't see. There's up there in the balcony, just like you guys all down here. And we were supposed to say something together after we looked, right? Do you remember? Let's say it. These are the people I love. So every year we have a theme that we try to follow throughout the year. You might remember a few years ago we had Engage and we had those big gears up there and different things. Well, this year the theme for 2018 is heart to heart. And that's why we have this. And you'll be seeing this throughout the year as we go along. That's the theme that the staff together chose. And we'll get to in a minute as to why. There was an important reason. Heart to heart is the theme. Loving relationships is the point. And 1 Corinthians 13 is where we started this year. Now, the last several weeks, we've been looking at different passages that talk about two weeks ago what love is, last week what love is not. And we're very much keying on words the last two weeks. But this week, we're not going to do that so much. There's actually just two words that we're going to look at today that, that I want you to understand because our key passage today is very short. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, and not even the whole verse, just the first three words, or at least three words in English, love never fails. Love never fails. All right, so, so let's take a look at this, what it would look like in the original language. So if we pull it up here, uh, so we got, hey, agape, you remember agape, right? Agape means love, we've seen that one a lot. And hey, that's just like the, so it's like saying the love, except we, we wouldn't say it that way. So that's love. And then we got, udepote, piptai. Udepote, piptai. Now those are the two words we're going to look at because they're very interesting. We translate them never fails. So let's take a look at the first one there. Udepote. 
This is actually one of those compound words. You remember compound words? You put two words together to come up with another meaning. Now, something about this. Do you remember last week we were talking about all the things that love is not? It all started with, it would say, ooh, and then the word. And the ooh meant not. So you think of the ooh as kind of like a, uh, like a prefix that would go on a word. A, a good way to think of this is like non. So we would say nonsensical or nonlinear or non-functional. That would be like ooh, ooh for us. But sometimes you want to go even further than that. And Paul goes further than that with this because he doesn't just say ooh. Now, ooh day is like the word not. So that part is not. And, but he also adds pote to it. And what this does is this stresses it because ude means not, pote means ever. So what this means is it would be like this. If I were to say to you, I won't do that. Now you'd know kind of what I meant there. But then if I said, I will never, ever, ever, ever do that. You see the difference in that? Paul is using the second sense here. He says, love never, ever, ever, ever pipti. Well, what's pipti? Well, pipti is actually a pretty interesting word as well. So uh, let me show you pipti there. Bring that up there. So that's the Greek letter pi at the beginning. And so that's the, at least that's how we say it. And, and, and it has a P sound. And, but what it actually means literally is to fall. Now, this word in this form occurs five times uh, in the New Testament, and every other time your Bible translates this word to fall or fall. So let me give you an example. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell, he pipped tie at, at his feet. Now, this is the story, if you remember, when Jesus is going to heal the little girl and the woman comes and touches the hem of his garment and is healed and that whole thing. That's this story. So you understand the emotion that Jairus had in that moment, and he comes to Jesus and he falls before him on the ground. So pipti, that's the literal meaning. But as we've noted in Greek, sometimes the literal meaning also takes on a figurative meaning, and that happens in English as well. And that has happened here. So let me give you another example of where it's becoming more of a figurative meaning. So this was one of Abraham Lincoln's favorite texts, Luke 11, verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will pipti, will fall. Now, he's not making the point here that literally a house is going to fall over. He's talking about the people in the house being at odds with each other causes it to fail. So we see this word that literally means to fall down also means to fail. And so it's in this light that we want to understand this word pipti. So we got... Ude ponte pipti, will never, ever, ever fall down. So maybe we could paraphrase this short little love never fails into love is so powerful that nothing can knock it down. Kind of captures what those words are saying. Now love never fails is what it means, but, but you get the imagery better with that. So why are we talking about that today? Well, for this reason, in order for a church to be strong, 
It needs to be built on a foundation that can never, ever, ever be knocked down. Okay, so we're about to do this project. We're just, we're just waiting until Duke Energy has a chance to move some of the power lines. And as soon as that's done, you're going to see equipment coming in here. And they're going to be moving stuff. And yeah, today was a little inconvenient. But we get to look forward to some inconvenience on a lot of weeks here coming up. So we appreciate your patience on that. But it's all for the good and it's all the long-term investment. And it'll be getting underway here about mid-March, it looks like at this point. But there'll be all kinds of equipment. Now, when you're building a new children's wing, do you start with the roof? No, we need a roof, right? But you don't start there, do you? Do you start with a wall? No. You clear the ground, you make it right, you lay a solid foundation, and then you build. Okay. Love must be the solid foundation upon which everything the church does is built. Because it's the only thing that won't peptide, that won't fall. So that's why we've been practicing saying, these are the people I love. And it can be a little challenging, right? Because we, we come into this place and, and you know, maybe you passed in the hall somebody from second service or, or first service and you don't know them. And what is our automatic bias about people we don't know? Regarded, right? And so there's a lot of people in here you don't know. And even if you're the friendliest person in here, even if you're Pastor Steve friendly, I mean that friendly, you still don't know everybody in here, and you never will. It's just too big of a group. But we can't allow our typical world bias to cause us to be negatively biased towards the people here. Why? Because everyone here over the age of 12, roughly, is here of their own free will, right? Now, I may say maybe some of the kids got drug in, but, but everybody else did not have to come here today. Yet you chose to come to this place because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe in the teachings of the church, you want to be a part of what's going on, and you are gathered now with like-minded people. So whether you know each other or not, we ought to automatically be biased towards love for each other, not biased in a defensive way against each other, because at our deepest core level, we share a common commitment to Jesus Christ. This is the basis of the love in the church. Now, it's not just that maybe we don't know people. Another amazing thing about this congregation is the diversity in this congregation. We come from every nation, kindred, tribe, and people. And in our unregenerated hearts, what is our tendency when we encounter someone who might not look like us or might not have the same cultural expressions as us or might speak with an accent different? Again, our impulse is to be biased and guarded. But remember, deeper than any of those things is our common confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, automatically, we are biased towards love for anyone who comes in in faith. That's why we can honestly say, these are the people I love, even if we don't actually know them all. Because we both know Jesus and we both love Jesus, 
and therefore we know we love one another. These are the people I love must be more than a saying. It must become the deep truth beneath all that we as the Forest Lake Church, all that we say, all that we do, and all that we are. And so given this understanding of love, it's clear enough why we might want to dwell a bit on the subject of love. But it wasn't just the inherent truth about love that drove the staff at the beginning of this year to believe we needed to focus on love. No, actually there was something a little more concrete than that. You see, towards the end of last year, the staff conducted a survey of 60 of the leaders in this church. A survey that's a part of a larger concept called natural church development. And in order that you might better understand what natural church development is and the results that came from this survey that to a large extent has helped us drive this theme, we're blessed to have Tim Nichols with us. Pastor Tim, he has a lot of knowledge on this and he's worked with this in the conference in other churches in the past. And so Tim, come and tell us a little bit about natural church development and this survey. Thank you. So long before I ever heard of natural church development more than 20 years ago, as a pastor, I came to understand that there were certain principles in the life of the church that always needed to be present for the church to be healthy and thriving. Things that are pretty obvious, but uh, um, maybe sometimes we don't think of how very important they are in the life of the church. Um, Of course, things like prayer in the church, um, where the church takes the Bible and applies it to daily lives. Things like empowerment of people so that everyone in the church can have an opportunity to serve and find a ministry that is meaningful to them. I learned as a pastor that I needed to keep all of these things in the awareness of the church and active in the life of the church because when these things fall out of balance or become uh, neglected, the church isn't reaching its potential. It's not doing all that God is calling it to do. And there's a number of these different principles that I learned as a pastor. Then I came across the Natural Church Development Study. It was originally a research study of churches. Um, It was conducted with more than a thousand churches internationally, churches of all sizes, with one idea. What are the qualities in the life of the church that indicate that it is most likely to grow and thrive, leading people to Jesus, versus similar churches who may look like they're doing the same kinds of things but missing certain qualities certain characteristics uh, that would indicate that they aren't thriving and that we we could study and see which ones are working and which ones aren't. A result of that study was that they ended up with a a group of what is called quality characteristics. They landed on eight of them because that's what the research told them. It could have been a different number, but the research said there are eight of these as we group them into certain categories that we think are really evident in the lives of those churches that are thriving and serving God's purpose. So it's important for us to understand what this study is about and that why it affects us as a church. Um, it is designed to help us understand something about ourselves. So that research was turned into this survey that the church has used. And that survey allows us to look to see which of these quality characteristics are really healthy in our church in which ones need some improvement and we could become uh, healthier and stronger as a church. So one of the first things I want to do is just really quickly go through and give you a a quick definition of what these eight quality characteristics are, and then I'm going to show you the result for the Forest Lake Church. The first one is probably very obvious, passionate spirituality. 
How can a church be healthy if it doesn't have passion at spirituality? Now, it's important to note on all of these eight characteristics that the word that is the adjective is the key word. There are lots of kinds of spirituality. Lots of churches claim to be spiritual. But the, the real key here is the quality of passionate spirituality. So this is a spirituality that transforms lives through prayer, through Bible study and application, through a passion for loving Jesus. And it becomes evident in the life of the church because people are passionate about the things that drive their spiritual life. You can see it in the way people are, in the behaviors, in the activities that they have. I hope that you're experiencing passionate spirituality in the life of the Forest Lake Church. The next one as a quality characteristic is functional structures or effective structures. The church is then organized in ways to be effective in accomplishing its mission. In other words, to do what is important and not spin its wheels on programs that do not support the church's purpose. Now, it is possible for churches to sometimes have programs that maybe they saw somebody else do that actually aren't helping them to move along, aren't helping them to serve the Lord's call, uh, aren't helping them to reach people and to serve the people that are in the congregation. So sometimes we need to evaluate and say, are all of our structures of all of our programs actually doing what God is calling us to do, or are we just doing them because we used to do them? So this is an, a measurement of effective structures. Are we doing what really matters for the sake of the kingdom in the life of the church, right? So um, the next one is inspiring worship. Now, I would suppose every church says they have worship, but is it inspiring worship? And this is the quality that we're looking for. So how do we know it's inspiring worship? Well, one definition would say that it is a worship that creates a sense of God's presence and communicates God's word and his grace to everyone who comes. You know, there's something about worship that worship is not taught very well. Worship is caught much more than taught. So when you get into a gathering of people who really know how to worship and have a great experience of joy worshiping, it's very easy to begin to learn how to worship. But when you're not around people who know how to worship, it's very hard to understand what it really is. So worship that is inspiring is a worship that when you are on your way home from the service, you go away feeling like you really were in the presence of God. Something special happened there. And it's touched my heart, inspired me to experience something that is meaningful. So that's inspiring worship. The next one is empowering leadership. Now, a lot of leadership in the church. Some churches have dictator leadership. Some churches have almost no leadership at all. This is empowering leadership. It looks like this. It is leadership that releases others to find and pursue ministry according to God's calling and giftedness. Meaning that it is not a leadership that is about itself. It's leadership that is about building a team. It's a leadership that is about really releasing people and encouraging others to find meaning in their ministry and what they can do to serve the cause of God. So empowering leadership is in the life of a healthy church where everyone becomes involved. Everyone is important. Holistic small groups. A lot of small groups might occur, but this is not just a small group where people get together and, and learn the truths of Scripture. It includes that, but it goes beyond, and that's why we use the word holistic. So they're holistic because they support spiritual growth through prayer, through Bible application, and practical encouragement and love for each person who is in that circle. In other words, this is a, a, a group of people who come together 
where more than one person can pray for another, right? Where more than one person can offer words of encouragement and help one another with the challenges that they might be dealing with. So this is holistic because it deals with the whole person and the needs of the life of that whole person to help them grow spiritually and improve in their walk with God. So that's a holistic small group. Um, Gift-oriented ministry. This is a ministry that encourages each person to work and serve in the area that God has equipped them and called them. Every gift is treated with value and all gifts are provided space for their own unique expression. You know, it's easy sometimes to value gifts that are up front, you know, because we see them at work. But this says that every gift is important, even those that work in the background, even the gifts that aren't given as much glory, you might say, or honor, as the uh, scripture says. But every gift is important to the life of the church. And so this is a ministry that says every one of the gifts is important. We want to honor them all. We want to give space for all of them to find good expression. Whether they're public or private, these gifts work together to build up the church. And so we want to respect and honor and support people who are using all the different gifts, no matter what they may be. Then need-oriented evangelism. Now, this isn't evangelism in the words that you sometimes think of it. It's not a meeting of some kind. Need-oriented evangelism is basically understanding that it's really about the person, not about a program. It's really about how people hear what God is speaking from His Word and in their lives, and not just the words themselves. So this is a personal approach to sharing the gospel based upon coming close to people, listening to their hearts, hearing the true needs and and offering love and service to meet their needs as individuals. In other words, this kind of evangelism really comes down to loving relationships, what we're talking about. So it's one of those things that if we want to understand how to really reach people, we have to invest in people. We have to spend time with people. Sometimes we use a method that I sometimes like to call bump and run evangelism. You know, we we go and we drop some nugget on somebody and then we run away. Now, it doesn't mean that has no value because the Word of God always has value, right? But wouldn't it be better if we could spend time with those people so they could see Jesus in us and then they would really understand what they're being called to do? And that requires loving relationships. Then the last one is that loving relationships People have all kinds of relationships, of course, but are they really loving? What does that look like? Well, this is an environment of trust and support where people experience joy and find transparency, where transparency is never punished. People know who they can count on and who they can turn to when they experience problems in their lives, where people really do care about how you're doing. It's not just polite elevator talk in the lobby. You know, how are you doing? And then running on before you can hear what they say, right? It's about actually caring, wanting to know how people really are living. And do they have needs in their lives? And how can we help each other? How can we really support and encourage each other through those loving relationships? So these are the eight quality characteristics in this study. In a moment, I'm going to show you the results, but before I do, let me help you understand how to look at the result by, under, by understanding this principle of a barrel. I'm going to put that up the screen. There it is. So when you look at the barrel, this barrel has 
wooden staves, you know, the wooden parts of the barrel, that are of different lengths, different heights. So the Natural Church Development Study learned that where there may be really high scores, where those quality characteristics are strong, that's a good thing, but every church has some, one at least, that are lower than the others. What they discovered is that that lower stave, that minimum stave, is the place that allows, you might say, the potential of the church to be leaked out. It allows the the people that you're trying to reach, the people you're trying to care for, to lose some experience, some opportunity for spiritual life or for, for spiritual growth. It is lost through whatever that minimum stave might be. So there can always be an improvement in the life of the church to make it more vibrant and healthy by helping to work on that one item or maybe a couple of items to help the capacity of the church to go up. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not talking about capacity in the room, but the capacity of the church to be what God has called it to be. And so what did we learn about the Forest Lake Church? Well, you won't be able to see this very well because it's small and I understand. But what you'll see is we have some high scores. We have some that are lower. Every church has a variation. Um, The middle line there is kind of the average, the median average. And this, by the way, is a study that's been standardized with other Adventist churches across North America. So that median line tells you the average of churches in North America. So uh, the one that is a little darker in color that is our minimum is need-oriented evangelism. The one that's right next to it on the right is loving relationships. Those are our two lowest numbers. What we need to understand is those two, if you're listening carefully, are driven from the same thing. Loving relationships is how we understand our internal relationships with one another and how we really do care for one another. And the need-oriented evangelism is how we really love and care for people who are not already in our circle so that they will experience what we experience. They are tied together. They are two expressions of much the same thing, loving people, expressing the love of Christ in the lives of others. So I want to point something else out on this that is very interesting. So you can see one of those uh, bars is the tallest, right? What you can't see is underneath it, it says gift-based ministry. So what this means is that the leaders in this church that took the survey said, Ours is a church filled with talented, gifted people who are using their gifts for the kingdom of God. And that is very true. This is an amazing church in terms of its giftings and its talents. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with this chart. And if you've been following along with what we're reading in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you're going to see it because verse 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, if we are outstanding in gift-based ministry, however, do not have love, what are we? It says nothing. So that's awesome that that's tall, but if it's not loving relationships underneath it, It's not building the kingdom of God like it can. And our second highest one there is passionate spirituality. The leader said the people in this church really believe in Jesus, and they really work on that and express that and spend time in their own lives getting close to Jesus. But the Scripture says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, which is awesome spirituality, right? But do not have love... 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And so you can see, after we spent some time with this information as a staff, why we said, you know what? Heart to heart. We need to focus on loving relationships. Now, here's the thing. I believe this church is full of loving people. The breakdown is happening in that we are such a large community that we're passing and not interacting. And we're not showing to each other that love that God has put in our hearts. This is our opportunity. Now, this is one of the reasons we're doing this building project. Because right now, lobby space is get out if you can and don't worry about who you have to knock down to get there. But in the future, once the new space is there, you'll be able to linger. You'll be able to interact. You'll be able to discuss. Tim has a story, just a real quick story, about loving relationships and its impact. Go ahead. Yes, so some years ago I was pastoring a church that was actually pretty good at this loving relationships. I met a young man about 30 years old who had started attending church on a regular basis. He didn't have any kind of a Christian background, but he was attending our church. As I got to know him, we began to study the Bible together. Um, I, as a pastor, very curious, why did you start coming to this church and why are you continuing to come? And he, he gave me a couple of answers that I thought were very important. One is he said, a person who attends this church regularly invited me to come with him to church. Now that's different than just saying that he invited me to church because he said, come with me to church and that person would sit with him, would be with him. He helped him to know that he had a friend in the church. And so he came to start with knowing almost nothing about us because he had a friend in the church. The second thing I learned was really, I think, very important. He said, oftentimes, I'll take some, you know, weekend off, I'll go somewhere, I'll go up to Disney World, and I'll, um, you know, spend some time there. He says, the people at Disney World are really nice to me. They're very friendly, they always offer to take care of me and do things for me, but he says, let's be honest, I really know that they've been well-trained and they're paid to do that. They don't really care. They're just nice to me. But he said, when I come to this church, when I come in on Sabbath morning, people actually ask me, how was your week or how are you doing? And they really do want to know. They really care about whether I've had a challenge this week or or not. They really stop and wait and want to hear the answer. I thought that was one of the best testimonies for that church that I could imagine hearing. He experienced loving relationships because people were not just being polite as they passed by. They were not just handing him a program as he came in. They were really loving him. Even when they didn't know him, they loved him. Jesus said, John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So all of this together is the reasons why since the beginning of the year we've been focusing 
on 1 Corinthians 13, and the reason I've given you the tasks, the assignments to, to read 1 Corinthians 13 every day, because I want it to become so familiar to you that you can pull those things up quickly, and why I've encouraged you to practice saying when you come in, these are the people I love, because we've got to get that in our minds. This church is advantaged in a lot of ways. We're advantaged in our capacity to have inspiring worship, to have, to have people with amazing gifts, to have all of these other things. We are greatly advantaged over churches that are much smaller. But there is one area in which we will always be challenged because of size, and that is to create the feeling of warmth and loving relationships within the community. So we have got to work extra hard on this point to make it work out. See, in a church of a hundred people, everybody pretty much already knows who each other are. They interact. They have networks. Nobody can sneak in unnoticed. You know, somebody new shows up. We're on them. Boom. We know that's a new guy. <laughs> you can sneak in here. Nobody has any idea. So we have to be extra aware on this. Pastor Steve can't meet everybody. <laughs> We got to help him out. He tries. <laughs> we got to be on the lookout. We got to create that warm environment. And we got to be sensitive to the reality that God is sending to this place people from all over the world, not just all over the country. Amen. And we got to be gracious to every context we encounter. Now, I can't say for sure how people outside this church see us because we haven't surveyed them. But I can tell you that the key leaders in this place said, we're doing pretty good in speaking in the tongues of men and angels. But maybe we're not getting the message of love out as well as we could. Now, as we close today, we're not going to have a closing hymn like we usually do. We're going to do it a little different today. Because right here in front of us, I have a gift that I want you to have. But here's the thing. This gift isn't free. You know how those gifts go, right? <laughs> now, it's not going to cost you any money, but it is going to cost you a commitment. What I've got here is a card. You can see that card. We'll put it up on the screen there. This is a card. Now, in the middle of this card is original art by one of our members, Charlene Thomas. You may not know her. She'd be embarrassed if I pointed her out right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. She's right down here. <laughs> you probably would not know her because she's extremely kind, but also kind of shy. And she comes in each Sabbath and sits down front here. And she's an artist, and she did this this work of art based on the series we've been doing since the beginning of the year. And then there's another artist whose name is Alicia, my wife, who has hated not being a part of this series and having to be home. But she's getting closer and closer to being able to come back to church. And she wanted you to have a gift. So she worked with Charlene, and she did the calligraphy around this card. So this is Alicia's writing, and this is the portion of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, that talks about what love is and what love is not, and how love never fails. 
We want everybody to have one of these. But here's the commitment you have to make when you have it. The commitment is that you will try to live this way at home, at work, and every time you come through these doors. That this will be the template, the model, the pattern for how you will live together in this place. That you will live according to love. Now this is great. You can frame it. You can put it on your desk. You can put it on your wall. You can put it on your refrigerator. You can put it in your Bible. You can keep it handy to remind you. But this is a gift to you from Alicia and Charlene to secure in your heart your commitment to live by this teaching in 1 Corinthians 13. Now here's what we're going to do. Will's going to play for us on the organ. And I'm going to say a prayer here. And then I want you to come while he plays. And you can either come here to the front or you can go to the sides. We're going to have some deacons on the sides that have these so that we don't just get completely jammed up here in the front. And I want you to take one of these. And everybody can have one. It's not just one per family. Everybody who's willing to make this commitment can take this card home with them and let this be your reminder that we are going to be known for our love for one another. Because Jesus said, by this all men shall know you are my disciples if you love one another. So I'm going to pray, and then Will's going to play, and then you come and get one of these cards. And it probably wouldn't hurt in the theme of loving relationships, but you might even give somebody a hug before you left today. <laughs> so let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that we would bear the divine stamp of heaven that would cause all to know that we are your disciples because we love one another. Lord, I believe you have put love in the hearts of the people of this church because they have shown love to my family. But Lord, help us learn how to show that love to each other so that the next time we do this survey, this will be one of our strongest characteristics. Thank you for those who have given of their talent, their gifts, to give us this card. And by receiving it, Lord, help us to commit to live this way with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.